In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. I've survived. I'm out of Pittsburgh. I'm in New York and I'm here with Ian Right, Right, Right. Ian, how are you? I'm good. I have survived as well. We, uh, we departed Heinz Field. I headed west eight hours. You headed east eight hours. You're in New York and I'm in Chicago. What a game. What an atmosphere. Let's start off with the uh, video that obviously um, everyone's seen. And if they haven't seen, I don't know what they've been doing for the last um, 24 hours. But yeah, I just want to say, um, whatever happened, it was no, I was not upset. I was not angry. I didn't want to punch the guy. I thought it was just quite funny. Hence why I held the camera there and basically just took it like a, like a man and didn't re- retaliate. What was your, how did you see the moment when it all kicked off? I mean, I agree. I mean, it was one of those things where, you know, I think people maybe had the wrong impression because where our tailgate was over by the Spring Hill Suites and uh, shout out to the Muni Browns backers uh, for putting up the nice tailgate. Wonderful time. Um, you know, where we were walking from Spring Hill straight to the stadium was along the sidewalk. So as we were kind of going past the Steel Village tailgates, you know, you and your buddies were filming things just to kind of get an overall take. Uh, you know, we're not people that are out there looking for banter and issues like that. And, you know, it just happened to be when we went by that one tailgate. Um, I think Dan's Miles Garrett jersey got a people a, a little fired up. And phenomenal, uh, you know, award-winning camera work by yourself. Because, like I think I told you before, if it wasn't for the great angle of that camera, you know, nothing happened. I mean, the guy yelled some words, you know, who cares? And if it wasn't for the perfect angle of the piece of ham, which we've been corrected. I thought it was chicken. I was corrected. It was ham. So the hand being thrown, it was just a great camera work. So video, uh, video award of the year to you there, my friend. Yeah, no worries. And uh, yeah, I've got absolutely zero bad blood, blood, bad blood to uh, anyone in Steelers. Obviously, we don't like them. That's a different topic. But when I was in Pittsburgh, everyone was really interested. I was a Browns fan, came up, had a chat. And yeah, 99% of the time, I actually thought that everyone was totally different to what the keyboard warriors everyone just came up had chats obviously one doorman wouldn't let me into a club i was wearing a brown starter jacket from the 90s and uh yeah he was having none of it he said like where's your visa to get into this nightclub and i'm like mate i ain't got a visa to get in the nightclub but uh, yeah <laughs> anyway so uh, maybe we're a browns podcast uh, uh let's talk about how do you think the browns did tell us um what numbers are we going to go with? Let's, let's fly through this. It's been 24 hours. So offense, what do you reckon we're going to give them an out of 10? Well, the offense started hot and then hit a very, very cold patch for most of the game. So I'm not sure we can really give them above a three. Um, some questionable stuff in the second half. Um, execution issues. We really struggled on the offensive line. Uh, so overall, I'm going with a three. But at times, it did have a bit of rhythm, like especially in that first quarter. 
it did it did feel like it was working. Maybe even in the second quarter as well, things were moving with a bit of rhythm. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I think is a kind of a feather maybe in Freddie's cap is the fact that the team comes out very prepared. They're very scripted. You know, one of the things that we used to kind of crush Brown's coaches about was their inability to script plays. You know, Brown's teams used to come out and take forever to get started. And, you know, I think Todd Munkin and Freddie Kitchens um, do a very good job of scripting the first few plays. They get the offense going. Then once the defense starts making adjustments, I think we have a hard time countering the adjustments because we have some voids on our offense when it comes to the talent. And I think that, you know, over the next year or so, we're just going to have to do our best to kind of plug some of those holes. I posted this on Twitter, and this was really interesting for me, is they showed, like, Baker they show Baker Mayfield get uh, um, sacked Sack. five times. You know, I don't know. Have you ever seen that before? Where it's just so brutal. No. So what that is, is, and actually it's a really cool thing that the Steelers do. So the song is, they do this thing called Renegade. And at some point in the beginning of the fourth quarter, they play that song. And they take highlights of hits, either from that game or that team. And they put together that kind of culmination um, to get the crowd hyped up. So I have seen that before. It is really cool. I think the even cooler thing, though, right after they played Renegade, the Browns hit two really long plays, I and know. the crowd went from roaring to silent. It was one of the wildest things I had seen because they played Renegade, and I think it was we hit a pass play and then hit that Chubb screen pass, and it was dead silent. I want to know, why don't we do it in Cleveland when the Steelers turn up and really wind them up? They do some things. I, I think our scoreboard operators do a pretty good job. Um, I will let you know next week. I will actually be at the Browns-Bengals game. Um, I'm going to take uh, my brother. My older brother has never been to a Browns game. So I'm going to take him, and we're going to sit in the dog pound. So shout out to all the Browns fans out there. If you see us, we'll be down there in the dog pound. I will let you know how the scoreboards. Because in the past, I think they do do a very good job of kind of getting people hyped up no, and, I, and stuff. I get that. But the, the, the way that it, it, the board went off, for like a minute, like it felt like it was a power cut going on. And then suddenly Baker Mayfield steps up and gets sacked to like every single, you know, mm -hmm. Baker Mayfield sacks just like bang, bang, bang. Like if I work for the Browns, Steelers are coming to town. I'm going to wind them up. I'm going to do exactly the same they do to us. Well, if and, I think uh, there's somebody out there that has the clout to maybe get something like that done. Now, obviously, we may have to pick a better song because we can't steal their song. But uh, maybe we could maybe. Well, you don't want to you don't want to imitate. I mean, you want to kind of have your own. So maybe we can put a poll out there for Browns fans to come out with a good song. We can get together a video compilation and uh, turn something like that in ourselves. Excellent. All right, let's talk about the defense. Uh, what are you going to give that out of 10? I think I'm going even lower. I think I'm going with a two. Um, now in saying that part of it isn't their own fault because, you know, by the end of the game, we had a line of Porter Gustin, Brandon, Bryan, Elianku, uh, Larry Ogunjobi. I mean, it was, we were down to the practice squad guys and guys that weren't even on the team three weeks ago, but we generated no pass rush and we allowed one of the worst offenses in the NFL to score 20 points on us momentum. The defense simply had to do one thing, and that was keep the score at 10-3 going into halftime. They gave up the big pass play down the sideline on, the, on the, um, the free play for us jumping off sides. Then they gave up that weird reverse 
And then a couple of plays later, they're in the end zone on a pass interference. And, you know, I just thought the defense really struggled. You know, we got them pinned back inside the one, couldn't get a stop. So I think the defense overall, that's probably one of their poorest performances of the season up there with that Tennessee game. Yeah. I mean, it was so, so annoying because I really believe that this game, once again, was there for us to take. And I really wanted it in. I, I wanted to walk out of hindsight. High Stadium was absolutely buzzing. People just chucking popcorn at me, booze at me, lemonade at me, hot dogs at me, just covered in mustard, walking out knowing, no, we won. And that's what was in my head. I was ready for that. Well, I think I was, I was in a little different place. There was some uh, experiences up there in the 500 level that actually had me a little worried towards the end of the game. I know we had the ball, and I'm like, if the Browns tie this up, it could get, it could get ugly up here. There was, there was some interesting behavior going on up there. It's, you know, it's not going to bore people with that in the podcast. It wasn't fun. But, yeah, I could see the joy of walking out of there with a win. You know, I probably would have liked to have been on a larger group, but um, – yeah, it would have been very nice, and I think the Browns really felt the effect of not having Miles Garrett. I mean, I know that against the Dolphins, we can manufacture pass rush, but we had nobody getting home. I mean, Devlin Hodges had all day back there in some cases, and he was able to throw those just deep Hail Marys that were getting caught. So not having Miles Garrett, not having a healthy uh, Olivier Vernon really, I think, showed off. Because you're right, even with our practice squad defensive line and our very below average uh, offensive tackles, we still should have won that game. And I've got to say, looking at um, Vernon, he was like really hobbling on and off that uh, field. Yeah, I think I saw he only played 12 snaps, and I think he did not play any in the second half. There was that play that kind of came over by where you were sitting, and then he hobbled off the field, and I think that was him done for the day. Right, okay. I I really witnessed him real hobbling off there from that point. Yeah, and you just hope that he didn't re-aggravate anything because if it was one of those things where he just thought he could play through it and it was a little bit more sore than he thought, um, then that's okay. But let's just hope that he didn't re-aggravate it because we're really going to need some of these D linemen to get back. Um, You know, Sheldon Richardson has really stepped up, but, you know, we're putting in these backup defensive tackles. Uh, If you go and look in the snap counts, you're going to see, you know, Porter Gustin had the most snaps of any Browns defensive end. You know, and unfortunately, the Cleveland media did not do uh, their due diligence today in finding out what happened to Chad Thomas and what happened to Olivier Vernon. So we're going to have to wait for uh, our guy, PJB, to give us an injury update later in the week. Yeah. And the special teams, really sad. I don't think the special teams was – I haven't seen the special teams play as bad uh, as that throughout the whole of the season. Yeah. Um, ironically enough, I thought that Cybert had a great game. I mean, we were watching him in warmups and I mean, he was, he has a leg on him. I mean, I will tell you Browns fans, he was kicking into the non open side of the stadium at Heinz field and he, in warmups, he was sitting at about 48, 49 yards and he was three quarters of the way up the bar. So, I mean, I actually wouldn't have been shocked if they would have attempted that field goal that he ended up pooch punting. Now, in the situation, it worked out well. But he has the leg to connect from those 55-plus yard field goals. And I will tell you, this was my first time seeing the Scottish Hammer punt in real life. And that guy, that is a, a, a rare breed. I mean, the sound the ball makes when it comes off his foot, the hang time that he gets, I mean, he is a very impressive punter. Um, you know, I, that's about one of the few things I do, do know a little bit about. 
Um, but I thought overall our return game, Tavier Thomas, you know, I, I've, I think I've seen that experiment on the return game come to an end. I'd like to see somebody that maybe could provide a little bit more there because that fumble that he had, you know, with under two minutes in the first half, I thought really cost us a chance to buck back some of the momentum. So I think Mike Prefer needs to do a little bit better job of setting up the return games because, you know, I know he says every week that they're really close to breaking one. Well, I'm not seeing it. You know, our coverage is pretty good and our kickers are pretty good, but I think our return game needs to definitely improve and I'd give them a six. Yeah, like, it's really annoying because we see other teams do it and it, this, this year in the NFL has been uh, quiet with returns, but, like, can you think of any game this season where we've had half-decent return? You know, we had one earlier in the season, and I, off for the life of me, cannot think of it. Um, maybe the Seattle game. It was earlier in the season. We had one good, about a 50-yard return, um, and, that, and that's the only one I can think of. But what about Freddie, eh? Because, you know, Twitter's destroying Freddie, like, get him out, fire Freddie. What's your view on it um, today? You know, we're basically out of the playoffs, only 5% chance of getting to the playoffs now. Yeah, I mean, I do like his 1-0 mentality. I mean, you have to play to win the game in that week. So, you know, trying to worry about the larger picture is probably the wrong mindset. You know, I just, and, and my friends kill me about this, you know, I'm not one to sit there and just scapegoat and blame the coach. Now, I do understand that it is a team game. And it starts from Jimmy Haslam, it goes through John Dorsey, it goes to Freddie Kitchens, and it goes to the players. You know, but at the end of the day, you have to have players execute and you have to have coaches coach. You know, I know a lot is made of Mike Tomlin drawing up defensive schemes at halftime and, you know, they coming out to execute, but the Browns beat themselves. And this wasn't a game where, you know, I thought Mike Tomlin had some all world coaching plan. I mean, he had a couple well-designed plays, but ultimately I thought the lack of discipline on the Browns defense. And I thought just the sheer lack of execution um, was a bigger issue than Freddie. I mean, if anyone who thought when we hired Freddie Kitchens that we were getting Sean Payton in year one was lying to themselves. Freddie Kitchens is not an elite coach. He's not. He has been on the job for seven months or eight months. He's going to make mistakes. But at the end of the day, you know, it seems like the players play for him. I mean, obviously, we're not in the locker room. We don't know. I mean, Demarius Randall, you know, if he shows up to practice or the heaters or whatever the issue is. I mean, he seems to be about himself in a contract here. That's another place. But if we have to remember as Browns fans, and I, I, I was talking to you and Jack about this earlier, and I think we need to have a podcast about it. This coaching staff was assembled by John Dorsey. Let's not forget that. James Campen is a John Dorsey guy. Steve Wilkes is a John Dorsey guy. Todd Munkin is a John Dorsey guy. Freddie Kitchens all but said when he was being interviewed that these were guys that he had not met when he interviewed them. So let's not think that John Dorsey didn't have his hand in this coaching staff being built. So all those people out there saying that it's going to be a one and done for Freddie need to think, is John Dorsey really going to pull the plug on his own coaching staff as opposed to just saying, okay, I can bring somebody in here that's going to replace the head coach. I, I personally would keep uh, Freddie Kitchens another year. I think that I have seen some growth in some areas, but you know, I think John Dorsey needs to step up and do a little bit better job of plugging some of these holes because you know, that, that, that hall pass he got at the first couple of years is starting to wear thin. Cause you know, some of the moves he's made has not, has not paid off. And you know, 
he has another off season to kind of do something about it, and I'm hoping he can. What's the best we can go now? Nine and seven. Nine and seven, yeah. But now, ultimately, you have to beat the Ravens uh, second to last week. I mean, at this rate, the Ravens may already have something locked up. You know, they may be just kind of maybe play Lamar Jackson a half or something along those. We'll see. But ultimately, they need to come out next week, beat the Bengals. You know, I know the Bengals beat the Jets, and everybody's scared now. But at the end of the day, we have more talent than the Jet or than the Bengals. Get out there, hand the ball off to our two workhorse running backs. You know, I think we win both of those games. I, you know, I was a lot higher up on Arizona going into that Rams game, and then I just watched them get absolutely lambasted. Um, so I think that if we can successfully implement our office in that game, Baker's going to be motivated. I think that is one we could realistically win um, on the road, which brings on Baltimore. You lose that when you end 8-8. Eight and eight. If the Browns finish 8-8 eight and eight in year one, I know that we are a very talented team, probably the most talented team that we've had here in 20 years. But I think Browns fans get lost up in one thing. We are very talented in skill positions, and we thought we were talented on the defensive line, and we obviously took a large blow losing Garrett. But the offensive line, I thought Wyatt Teller was just completely outmatched yesterday. I thought that Chris Hubbard was just absolutely obliterated by TJ Watts' bull rush. And I thought that Justin McC- Ian, my name's been called out. Give me one second. I'm going to push pause. Ian, here's a question for you. Freddie, he goes, finishes the season 6-10 and 10 or 7-9. and nine. Does he keep his job? 6-10, and 10, I think that him and John are going to have a discussion. Um, <coughs> I think it really depends on what's factoring into that. I mean, obviously, each game comes down to whether you win or lose. Uh, say if Baker gets hurt or something like that, obviously, knock on wood that that doesn't happen. Um, if he goes two and two to finish and they go seven and nine or they go three and one, I think you probably are having the same conversation. If he can somehow rally them to finish nine and seven, obviously then I think he's a lock to come back. But again, I, I don't think the answer is firing the coach. Um, it's just one of those things where he's got to kind of get an understanding. I mean, if, if somebody were to come to you six months after starting a new job and start evaluating you and saying, well, we're, we might get rid of you. We might get, I mean, being a head coach in the NFL is a very complex job. Let's not make it seem like this is just an easy job and there's so many guys out there that can do it. You know, I, I just am not a fan of pulling the plug yet. You know, I see a lot of potential with Freddie. I like a lot of things about him, you know, and I think him and John Dorsey just have a lot of work to do in the offseason. Um, because this team has flaws. Like I was saying, they're very talented in the skill positions. They're not very talented on the lines. The D-line doesn't have the depth we thought it does, and the offensive line has three massive holes without Greg Robinson, two and a half with him. So they've got to fix these up to really, I think, give Freddie the ability to kind of fully execute. I think him and Munkin do a good job working together, putting together his prep plans, but ultimately they got to win some games. you got two games against the Bengals. you got to win both of those. Get that one against Arizona. Let's get to eight and eight. The Browns have not seen eight wins in a season, you know, since Nam. So let's let's uh, let's be reasonable about, about our expectations. I know we all want Super Bowls, but eight and eight, given the last couple seasons that we had, is not the worst thing. It's an improvement over last year. And then let's really focus on solidifying and making ourselves a tougher team, mirroring Baltimore, mirroring San Francisco, get tough on the lines and then attack 2020 with the, you know, the absolute let's win the AFC North uh, expectations. Real quick draft question. Our first 
all-round picks? What do you think it be? Tackle, tackle, safety, safety? You know, it really depends. And, you know, I think that you, Jack, and I can have a very good conversation about what is the best way that we can attack, attack this offseason. Because obviously we pointed out, you pointed out right there, some major flaws. I worry about rookie tackles. You know, so if we do take a tackle in that, you know, 15 to 20 range, are we realistically expecting him to be able to start, you know, week one? Um, I think tackles are one of those ones where you kind of give them a little bit of time. They're, you know, not everybody out there is a Joe Thomas. Um, safeties, I thought Redwine played pretty well. Um, you know, I'll be curious to see what's going on with Morgan Burnett. Um, you know, he's kind of shown some signs and was playing really well as a strong safety. Um, Demarius Randall has just absolutely harpooned his free agent value. Um, you know, if him and, him and the Browns were able to somehow mend the fence, you know, maybe sign a one-year prove-it deal to send him back into a contract year where he's, you know, convinced the coaching staff. Because you remember, Elliot Wolf and Alonzo Highsmith were big fans of his in Green Bay. That's why he's in Cleveland. So if somehow he can make believers out of them, maybe we could be looking at a one-year deal, prove a deal, and uh, get a little bit of extra time out of him. Because, you know, the expectation of getting rookies on the field to start right away is a little unrealistic. Just look at Greedy Williams. Show some flashes. You know he's going to be good, but he struggles at times. So it's one of those ones we need to win now. I really just hope John is able to go out there, find some of that mid-range talent. And that's, you know, what Jack and I will get into about what can you find value-wise on the free agent market to plug some of these holes? Because, you know, the Wyatt Teller and the Justin McCray trades right now are not looking so kind for, uh, for Mr. John Dorsey. I thought one, um, uh, one guy that looked good was uh, Stephen Carlson, the tight end again. Absolutely. I think he has made David Njoku's return delayed because Carlson, you're right. I thought he was pointed style of attack, you know, obviously going up against TJ Watts, not an easy task at times, but he caught the ball well. Um, I think they may have found something with him. I, I definitely like him more than I've ever liked. I ever liked Seth the Valve. Really? Yeah. I, was, I just. Yeah, I was always a Seth the Valve fan. I always thought he had safe hands and ball goes to him and he catches it. He was just always so injury prone. He had such elite athleticism and just could not stay on the field. So he was just, he, I had a lot of hype and hope coming out of uh, college out of Princeton with him, but he was just a lot of hype and not a lot of, uh, not a lot of anything else. Right. Carlson is also from and, uh, Princeton. Yeah. And they're good buddies. But uh, I don't know. Did you see the uh, the news on Jannard Avery? All of those people that were rushing to point out the flaws in the Browns GM for trading away Avery. He had a sack on his first play. Yeah, I don't even think he played the other day. So things have fallen apart in Philly for him. Yeah, his snap count is uh, not great at all. And uh, um, but do you reckon Andrew could be back this weekend? You know, that's a great question. Um, I don't know if the front office is a big fan of him at this point. I mean, you know, he was a Sashi pick and I will say that there's one thing about David Njoku is he sure loves him some David Njoku there. He is not short on self-confidence. You know, everybody around the team seems to have been thinking he would have been back by now and he's not. So that's a good question. You know, what? I would have loved it if one of the, uh, the, the reporters would have asked Freddie about that today, but we were too busy obsessing over a t-shirt. Yeah. It's, it's, it is very pathetic, though, that with the things we talk about, it's like T-shirts and, you know. What, well, we're still talking about the Miles Garrett. We're still talking about, you know, revenge sweatshirts and Freddie's T-shirts. And now I see Emily Mayfield's coming at Mary Kay Cabot on Twitter. It's like, you know, th with the Browns, it's never ending. We fight over the most stupidest things. Steelers Nations come out and said, how disrespectful all the Browns fans were, you know, like we, we, we scribble over stupid things where we should be talking about the tackles, we should be talking about 
you know, depth in safety room. We should be talking about Joe Schobert's contract, you know. Where's Higgins? You know, all these big topics. You, you mean know. things actually about the team? <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it is wild to me, and I will say this. You know, it's Steelers Nation. By the way, if open invite, come on the podcast. We'd love to talk to you, you know, find out what you know, because, you know, obviously we had our issues with Steelers fans. Um, but for the most part, you know, I will never advocate violence at a tailgate. You know, Steelers fans and Browns fans are a lot more alike than they'll ever admit. They're virtually the same people just cheering for different teams. So I always encourage Browns fans in the tailgate, say things, stay classy. You know, there's no, there's no need to cross that line. You know, unfortunately, we had a guy that was sitting behind us at the game that I thought crossed the line in some cases. But be respectful. You know, even if you're away, you know, you're there to have fun, not to instigate, you know, issues. Don't go looking for a fight. It, it, that's just, it's not, that's what I think people fail to realize because we always want to blame somebody. You know, if the team's not winning, it's blame the coach. If the team's not winning, it's blame this, it's blame Baker, it's his thumb. You know, it's always blaming. And what happens is, is all that does is give the reporters things to write about. So instead of asking, like you just said, what, what's going on with Hollywood Higgins? What's going on with Joe Schobert? Those are the minority when it comes to the questions being asked. You know, we want to obsess. You know, they're trying to find out why Demarius Randall wasn't at practice. And they're trying to secretly ask questions to say, well, was Demarius Randall at practice all the days in the week? And Freddie just looks at him like, I know what you're trying to do. Like, I'm not going to give the information. Go ask Demarius Randall. You know, they're just so distracted with all of the, you know, the media stuff, which helps them write stories that they, who's going to read an article about why, you know, Chris Hubbard can't seem to hold the point of attack, you know, on the right tackle edge and TJ Watt was able to bull rush him about seven yards every play. Nobody's going to read that story, but they're going to read about how Demarius Randall didn't want or wants practice heaters or whatever the hell that was about. It's always something. It's always something. All right. And where can people find your details? Ian19 on Twitter. And, you know, before we go, I do want to give a special shout out to uh, Brewdog Brian. Um, I had the chance to kind of hang out with him during the Browns game in the, uh, the Bud Light observation viewing deck. Good dude. Um, so all the local bars out there, get a hold of Brewdog Brian on Twitter. Uh, reach out. He'll sell you some of the best beer you can have. Um, and otherwise, what, I, I just thought the tailgate was great. You know, I thought that everybody there um, was in great spirits. You know, we had Steelers fans there. We had Browns fans there. You know, people were donating to the, to the, to the cause, you know, raising money for the food bank. Um, I just thought it was overall a great time. You know, I definitely want to head back to Heinz Field next year. Uh, you know, I don't know if there's any stories. Hayden Grove, shout out to you for coming by with the Cleveland.com, um, you know, webcast. So that was really cool. Just getting to meet a lot of people coming up to us, you know, the fans of the podcast. We really appreciate all that. We appreciate our listeners. You know, obviously, please interact with us on Twitter. Uh, let us know what you want to hear, uh, all that kind of stuff. So I know you had some great interactions from fans. Any special ones you want to shout out? No, I just want to say a big shout out to all the Steelers fans, really. And uh, they, I got invited many times, every half an hour, to go over and do a um, shot with them every half an hour. It's all about prayers. And, uh, yeah, it was just great fun interacting with them. Good fun, good banter. And, uh, yeah, anyone who thinks that uh, my day was ruined by a lump of ham being chucked at me, it was one of the highlights. And, uh, Matt, you got to understand, I love local derbies. I love the intensity. I love the, uh, I love the breaking point. You know, everyone's there to win, and that's why I love sports. So, um, yeah, being called some names really doesn't affect me. Being hit by a bit of ham doesn't really affect me. 
and uh, yeah, hopefully next year it's going to be just as lively or maybe a little bit more. That'd be amazing. But, uh, well, I, yeah. I thought it was very brave of you to step in front of that piece of ham and not let it hit Dan. You know, that was just very brave of you to stand in there and take that one for one of your mates. So hat tip to anybody. Paul Brown will jump in front of a ham bone to keep it from hitting you. Ian, I won't do it with a bullet with you, okay? So I'm just telling you, so be prepared. That's fine. If there's one of those, I'll be gone anyways. I've seen you run up those stairs. I got you by at least two or three steps. Mate, two or three. Ten steps, anyway. But all right. <laughs> All right, guys. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah. Really nice. Uh, really nice weekend. I haven't slept more than four hours a night. I'm absolutely knackered. I'm now gonna get on a flight back to London, and then we've got some big guests coming on this week. We've got uh, Jennifer Matthews gonna come on. Matt Miller. Oh, awesome. Yes. Yeah, got some big guests. So, uh, yeah, just get him on. And uh, a big shout out to Scottish Hammer. He gave me an hour of his time on Saturday, and um, yeah, it was just awesome just catching up with him. Saw. Uh, Money Mitch, so that was cool. Um, he knew that I was a podcaster. He said, "Are you the guy from England, the podcaster?" I said, "That's me." So we did a selfie in the lift, and that was cool. So yeah, just, you inspired um, him to go out and get that interception. I know, mate. And uh, how annoying was it though that um, Hayden got the interception at the end? You know, I love Joe Hayden. Um, I will always love Joe Hayden. I had very good experiences with Joe Hayden in Cleveland, so. Shout out to you, Joe Hayden. I'm, if, if, actually, if there was anybody that could have got it, I'm glad it was him. It hurts to see him in those colors because I still do love me some Joe Hayden. All right, Ed, you take care. I'm going to jump on a flight. I'll speak to you later in the week. Fly back soon. And like, uh, Browns fans, let us know where you'll be at for the, uh, the game of the Bengals, and we'll come find you. Well, I will because you'll be in London sleeping. Well, mate, hang on a minute. I'm not going to be sleeping. Um... Get yourself down to the mini lot, you know, all the guys that I hang around with. They have the first bus to go in and the mini lot. Go and see Larry and, uh, yeah, go Browns. Go Browns.